Pray with me. Father, this morning we remember that holy night when Christ was born. And we remind ourselves that of all that you've done and the life we have because of your son, that your love came down and rescued us and your love came down and set us free. And because of your great goodness and your perfect gift of love, we give our lives back to you and we say with Carrie Job's song, we are forever yours. Not just for a little while, not just for a moment of, uh, of emotion, but for our whole lives and for eternity, we belong to you, the ancient of days, because you found a way to find us by sending your son. And we are forever yours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Now, what a great, great weekend. 14, 14 babies. They say, I read this week, um, an article by a guy named Gary Novak. He says the birth rate is dropping in the United States. Um, seven years in a row now. But I just want to say Tallywood is doing our part, right? Um, I saw um, the father, the Stocktons uh, have new twins and that in the earlier service. And then last night, uh, the Turners were there with their two the two little girls, they've just adopted these beautiful twins and all of that, just a reminder that however God brings children into our lives, we get the privilege of loving them. And I was just thinking back about those days, back before there were birthing centers. That was kind of new when Melanie and I had our kids and, you know, where the father would be in the room when the baby was born. But some of you remember a time, or at least your parents remember a time when when the dads would be out in a waiting room and babies were born in an operating room and a nurse would come as the liaison to say, the child has been born. And from that, a story from Minneapolis, three fathers sitting in a waiting room, waiting for word. And the nurse comes out and says to the first man, I have good news for you. In fact, doubly good news. Your wife has given birth to twins. This was before ultrasounds. Your wife has given birth to twins. And he goes, that is amazing because I work for the Minnesota Twins, the, that, that baseball organization. And what are the odds of that? And then the nurse comes out again and says to the next man, hey, this is amazing. Your wife has given birth to triplets. And he goes, 3M, I work for 3M. That's, that's amazing. The third guy just faints. And so they, you know, kind of wake him up and they go, what's wrong, what's wrong? He goes, I never should have gone to work for 7Up. I never should have done that. <laughs> So you just don't know, you know, but we're grateful for every one of them. And as I think about the birth rate in our country, I've been thinking about uh, the Christian birth rate. So how many people are being born into the kingdom of God? Because our whole Christmas Advent series has been about Jesus saying to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And you remember this passage, stand with me as we read it. John chapter three, verse 16 you know this verse. Let's just read verses 16 to 18 together out loud. I think we have those. John 3, 16 to 18. Um, yeah, so I'll read them and here we go. Okay, so for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already 
because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. And then in John chapter one, I want to read to you uh, a a couple more verses uh, that sort of uh, tell the beginning of this story that we're familiar with. John chapter one, you can follow uh, verses 11 to 13. It says about Jesus, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So Christine Rossetti wrote that little Christmas poem, A Love Came Down at Christmas. And really that is the theme of what we've been saying, that that God's greatest gift was a gift of love. For God so loved the world that he gave. We said the characteristic activity of love is giving. And God's love is so expansive that he was able to love the whole world. So there's nobody that's ever lived, nobody that you or I know who are beyond the reach of the love of God. And the really good news is that God, he made this expensive gift of love to the world. He gave up his, we said last week, his one and only son. That was the price of God's greatest gift. And the good news is we didn't have to pay that price. God paid that price. Now, what was the purpose of God's greatest gift? And then on Christmas Eve at 4.30 and 6 and 11, we'll talk about the promise of God's greatest gift of love, the promise of life eternal. But the purpose, he says, was that we would believe in him so that we would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what God was doing with the incarnation. He was sending his son so that you and I might come to believe in him. Again, that Carrie Job song has been with me all week. Love came down and rescued me. And we believe, she says, we believe and we remind ourselves of all that you've done and the life we have because of your son. And that's why we're forever yours because you bought us at a price. And so we glorify you with all that we are. And this is the promise of life. This is the purpose that, that Christ was born so that you and I might believe. The whole Gospel of John, the whole Christmas story is about people believing. In Luke, it's about Zechariah and Elizabeth believing that their son is going to be the one who's the voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. They see this. They hear God's promise and they receive that promise. It's, it's Mary saying, Lord, may it be to me as you have said, because no power of yours. This is the literal translation. No power of yours will be wasted. God, you, you will do what you say you will do. It's Joseph believing the dream. We'll talk about that Wednesday evening. And it's, it's about shepherds believing enough that they leave their sheep. It's about wise men believing enough that they leave their home. It's about a man named Simeon who believes God enough that he will not die until he sees the Messiah. It's Anna waiting all those years after she's a widow, waiting. And the good news is God is working, as we sang earlier, God is working as we wait. While we're waiting, he's working. And this is the work he's doing. He wants to give birth to us. 
So later in Galatians, after Paul says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? So that he might redeem those who are under the law, so that he might give the gift of adoption to all of us, so that all of us might be adopted into God's forever family. This was God's great purpose. And then he says later in Galatians chapter four, I'm in labor pains right now for my church in Galatia, Paul says until Christ is formed in you. And every pastor who's ever stood before a congregation knows exactly what he was talking about. Because our goal for you is not just that you come to church, not that you, you just get involved in the church, but that Christ would be formed in you. And for that, we are willing to labor because we know, as Paul says to the Corinthians, our labor in the Lord is never in vain. This labor is, is labor that bears fruit because our dream is not just that you would know that Christ was born and you would stop for a day on Christmas and with the materialism and the sentimentality of our culture, just sort of join in and be like everybody else. Now, here's our goal, that the Christ who was born in Bethlehem would be born in us so that our lives are changed so that we become instruments of change in the world. That's what we're praying for when we're holding these babies. That's what we're hoping when we send them off to elementary school and to middle school and to high school and off to college and out into the world. Not just that they will be successful and have good jobs and good marriages, as good as those things are, but rather that they would be full-fledged followers of Jesus Christ. And for that to happen, they have to believe. And for them to believe, dare I say, we have to believe. So there's no sense in us praying for babies to become believers if you and I do not believe. And so this great gift of God offers us the opportunity of faith and then shows us the object of our faith so that we can experience the outcome of our faith. Notice first the opportunity for faith. And it's just in that one word in John three sixteen. I know we've gone through this slowly. It's taken us weeks. I apologize for that. Maybe not. But in John three sixteen, whoever, whoever believes in him. So if you ask me, so who can believe? Whoever can believe. Whoever can believe in God's son. You say, but wait a minute. But what if they're, they're not the elect? The ones who believe are the elect. God chooses to save those who believe. And you have the opportunity to believe. And if you believe, then you are chosen in Christ. And it is a, it is a done deal. You are going to be, you are going to be justified and, and sanctified and glorified because God is going to accomplish what he has begun in you. And it's a, it's a whoever. So that's what Jesus says in, in the gospel of Mark when, when he says, so whoever, whoever wants to be my disciple, let him come after me. Let, let him take up his cross daily and deny himself and follow me. Let, let him do that and he will be whoever. Revelation 22, verse 17, the end of the book just confirms it. And the old King James verse, version said, whosoever will. So the spirit and the bride say, come, whoever wants to come. So I don't want you to think, well, well you're on the outside looking in because the good news is Christ came for you, Christ came for me. Christ came for everybody we know. Christ came for everybody in this city. You say, well, what about this person or that kind of person or that kind? No, Christ came because God so loved the world, organized in rebellion against him. God loved the world. Well, we were still sinners. Christ died for us and love came down. Carrie Job sings and rescued me. I remind myself 
of all that you've done and the life we have. How, how did love come down and rescue us? And Nicholas Beale and John Polkinghorne, a, a philosopher and scientist, have, have written a book. And in that book, they, they um, imagine three men who are about to drown in a cove with high cliff walls and they can't swim and there's no way out and the tide's coming in and they separate and they're looking for some way out and somebody throws them a rope, each of them a rope and the uh, philosopher looks at the rope and says, it might just be an illusion. How do I know it's a real rope? And while he's pondering the rope, he never attaches himself to the rope and he drowns. Now, remember, a philosopher and a scientist wrote the book. And the scientist, the second person, the third person, a simple man, they said. The scientist sees the rope come down and says, that's an 11 millimeter polyester rope that will bear a weight of 2,800 kilograms. It looks like it it meets the M128 standard, amazingly powerful rope. And while he's analyzing the chemical and physical properties of the rope, he never attaches it to himself and he drowns. But the simple man sees the rope And he says, I don't know if it's a rope or a python's tail, but it's my only hope and I will hold on to it with my whole life and he is rescued. And C.S. Lewis says, you never really know what you think about a rope when you're just sort of tying a string around a package. But when that rope is your only way out and it's your only hope and you have to know whether it will hold you as you dangle over a precipice, then you'll know whether or not you believe in the strength of that rope. And God in Jesus Christ has offered us rescue. He has found a way to find us. And I I implore you to not miss the opportunity. God's greatest gift presents us with the opportunity to believe. And the whole point of the gospel is that we would believe. And the gospel of John, again and again, he says to those who believed in him, the whoever's who believed in him, who, who received him, who believed in his name, And then we see the signs. You're looking for a sign. Jesus gives all these signs. His mother says, can you turn the water into wine? And and he does because she believes. And a nobleman's child is restored because he believes. A man who's been lying there by the pool of Bethesda for 38 years walks again because he believes. And a blind man is healed because he trusts. And Jesus looks at him and says, do you believe? And Martha and Mary, when they lose their brother... And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And then in John chapter 20, verse 31, I think we have this verse at the end. John just sort of says, this is why I've told you the story. Because I wanted you, for instance, to believe. Don't miss the chance that whoever believes. So whoever you are, believe. And then notice the object of our faith, the opportunity to believe in whom? Whoever believes, John 3, 16, believes in him. So who is the him? Who is the he in whom we would believe? Well, if you go back to John chapter one, verse one, he's the word. And uh, he's the word who was with God and, and who was God. And, and, and he's the one who was the light who came into the world. He's the one who, who made the world. G.K. Chesterton said, so the child who played with the sun and the moon came down to play for a while in the hay. That's the incarnation. And this one was rejected by his own, verse 11 of John chapter 1. But to as many as received, not everybody received him, but to as many as received him, to those who believed He gave the authority to become the children of God. He's very specific that we would believe in Jesus. 
And this is a time of faith. I don't know about your childhood, but childhood for me, Christmas was a time of learning to believe. I read an article yesterday by a guy named Rick Cohen. He's a Jewish person who was just reflecting on Christmas in our culture. And he sort of said, so believing in Santa was kind of like training wheels for faith. This was his image. And he, he read Fred Eady, who is um, a um, uh, professor at, at Duke Divinity School. And Fred Eady said, the reason we believe in Santa in part is because he has some of the same characteristics as Jesus. He loves children like Jesus loved children. He gives gifts. And he says, if the Santa story is a type of the Jesus story, it persists. In other words, we're still, the Santa story is still a big story in our culture because the Jesus story is true. Because it's true. It's true because it reveals that, that all life ultimately comes to us as a gift. It's true in proclaiming that the receiving of this gift occurs in the sharing of it. And as Cohen was reflecting on it, he said, when I was a little boy, I believed in Santa. I believed in Santa. And he said, I would go, I would go to Santa. I'd sit on his lap and say, bring me gifts. Except in my house, because it was a Jewish household, we didn't have a Christmas tree. We were celebrating candles and, and Hanukkah. But, but, but I would say, just leave my gifts under the Johnston's tree. They live next door, you know? You got to read this article because at the end of the article, he goes, so in a way, Santa is kind of the set. And as the set's removed, we see there is truth and there is one who's greater than us. And this one, and he says, somehow in my mind, I want to go check under the Johnston's tree because I believe and he's beginning. And, and Paul talked about a veil that was over the eyes who, who wanted to believe, but just couldn't quite believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And so it's not enough just to believe in Santa. We've got to believe in, in Jesus Christ, who is the reality, who is true, who is always true. And what we learn about Jesus is that Jesus is the one who gave his life for us so that we could trust him, so that we could believe in him. And it doesn't, it doesn't end with just a cradle. You remember the story goes on to the cross. Matteo Ricci, when he went over to China in the 16th century as a missionary, found that when he brought art with him to show the people the story of Jesus, that they loved the pictures of Mary holding the baby. They loved those, those pictures. But when he talked about the baby growing up and being crucified and showed them a cross, they were like, ah, we don't want to see that. And I think it's that way to this day, that we, we, we are all about the, the story of Jesus coming, but the fact that he had to die for our sins. Now that's, that's another matter. But even a child, a whoever, a child, can believe this and receive it. And it takes childlike faith for all of us. Mark, who was a nine-year-old, um, uh, he went to school one day and, and did a creative writing project and his teacher called his mom and said, I gotta talk to you about Mark. This is always bad news when a parent gets this call. This is always kind of like, you're always just like, what is, it? oh boy, you know, we remember we get those calls and want to talk to you about your, your son. We want to talk to you about your son. And so she goes, okay, what, what happened? She said, well, I, I've been doing this creative writing assignment for years and I've gotten all these answers, but, but nobody ever answered the way your son Mark answered. And I, I just got to tell you about it because I told the story of an ant and a grasshopper and the ant stores up food and the grasshopper plays. And then it comes to winter and the grasshopper has nothing to eat and he begs the ant for food. And then I say to the children, finish the story. And Mark said, can I just draw a picture? And I said, well, no, you can draw a picture, but first you got to finish the story. And the teacher said, so the, the stories were just the ones I'd always seen. They fell in categories, a couple of categories, typically. The, the first category, the kids who, who made the ant uh, benevolent and said, here, I'll share my food with you. And the ant and the grasshopper live happily ever after. But then there were the sort of pharisaical fourth graders who said, you know what? You shouldn't have been playing. So um, no, I'm going to keep my food for myself. And the grasshopper starves to death and the ant lives. 
But your son writes the story differently than anybody I've ever seen in my life. He writes the story that the ant gives all of his food to the grasshopper and the grasshopper lives and the ant dies. And then he drew a picture of three crosses on the bottom of the page. Now this is the gospel, not just that Christ came, but that he was crucified, that he gave up his life for us. First Peter chapter three, verse 18, this truth that, that Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, why? To bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. I love Joe Bailey, this sort of prophetic poet who writes in ways that challenge us. The first part of that poem says, praise God for Christmas, praise him for the incarnation, for word made flesh. I will not sing of shepherds watching flocks, he says, or on frosty night or angel choristers. I won't sing of stable bear in Bethlehem or lowing oxen, wise men trailing distant star with golden frankincense. Tonight, he says, I will sing praise to the father who stood on heaven's threshold and said farewell to his son as he stepped across the stars to Bethlehem and Jerusalem. I will sing praise to the infinite eternal son who became most finite a baby who would one day be executed for my crimes. Praise him in the heavens. Praise him in the stable. Praise him in my heart. This is the object of our faith, the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ. And we believe in him, we receive him, we believe in his name. Why? So that we can be born again. And Nicodemus struggled with that. I can't be born. How can I be born? Ecclesiastes 3.2 says, there is a time to be born. And Nicodemus says, I already had that time. I don't need to be born. How can I be born? And Jesus says, no, you've been born physically, but you've not been born spiritually. As somebody has said, if you're born once, you're going to die twice. You're going to die physically and die eternally. But if you're born twice, you only die once. This is the hope of the gospel that you and I might be born anew, born from above, born to live a different kind of life. And what would happen if we were born that way? He says, then we would become who God always knew we could be, his children. Somebody says, but we're all God's children. We're all God's creation. But we become his children by birth into his family, by a new, a new birth. And there's a time to be born. Do you hear the story of, of Hazel Grace Zimmerman, who was born in Cleveland, Ohio, last Saturday? Just last Saturday, she was born at 10, 11 in the morning. So what? No, she was born at 10, 11 in the morning on December the 13th, 2014. In other words, she was born at 10, 11 on 12, 13, 14. She was right on time, wasn't she? Couldn't plan that. Can't happen again, they say, for like 30 years or something. Tim Gilmore can make me, uh, give me the exact on that, I'm pretty sure. But he was excited last night when I was telling this story. He already knew it. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. So when were you born? You know, if you're listening to me, you know what your birthday is. But when were you born again? And I only ask because Corey Ten Boom said, if Christ were born 10,000 times in Bethlehem, but never born in me, I would still be lost. And I don't want that to happen. I mean, what John is saying is it would, it would all be lost. You would be lost if you didn't believe in God's one and only son. 
God doesn't want to condemn anybody. He wants to save everybody. But those who don't believe have already voted and don't want to be saved. And if you don't believe, you won't be saved. I mean, it's not as though he's saying everybody in the world is going to be saved. But he is saying those who believe will be saved. And so I want to say to you what the scriptures say, that Christ is the only way. That Acts chapter 4 verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name by which we must be saved. In Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 to 11, that that beautiful hymn that Paul uses in that beautiful uh, letter to the Philippians, that letter of joy where he says, and God has given him, Jesus, the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Paul says to the Romans, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Is that you? Because Phillips Brooks wrote, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Here it is. Be born in us today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hope of rebirth. And we confess, Lord, how much we need the Lord Jesus Christ to be formed in us today. And even for those of us who've already believed that work is not complete, we're still becoming disciples. So we're learning of you, we're apprentices so that perhaps we can live like you and lead others to do the same. God, make us apprentices of Jesus today. Help us to believe so that we're born, so that we can become the daughters and sons of God. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.